0: and welcome to Dialogue and Debate. My name's Ed Newell, I'm the Chief Executive here at Cumberland Lodge. If this is your first time joining us, Dialogue and Debate is our regular series of webinars where we respond to key themes that emerge from our conferences and other aspects of our work, and also other important issues in society. Last time on Dialogue and Debate, we explored the question, is education the answer to social mobility? And we discuss with four experts how to enable people from disadvantaged backgrounds to fulfill their potential in education and in the world of work. If you're interested in this topic, you can watch the webinar on demand via the Read, Watch, Listen page uh, on our website or indeed uh, on SoundCloud and other major podcasting platforms. And one of our Cumberland Lodge scholars, Jess Adams, has also written a blog on this topic that you can uh, find on our website. In today's webinar, we're exploring the role that film, drama, and documentary makers can have in addressing social issues through their work. And to help us do this, I'm delighted to welcome our panelists film and television director Ken Loach, whose work spans the groundbreaking 1960s TV drama Cathy Come Home to the multiple award winning 2016 film I, Daniel Blake, screenwriter and producer Anna. Kumacheva, who's currently studying for a PhD at Lancaster University and is also a Cumberland Lodge scholar. Actor, director, and producer Stéphane Pierre Michel, whose uh, film Deleted was released uh, last year. And last but not least, Jane Fletcher, director of program delivery and learning of the children focused charity Into Film. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. To those uh, who are watching, we invite you to submit questions. If you're watching live on Zoom, you can do this using the Q&A function. You can also comment if you're watching live stream on Facebook. We'll be tweeting as well. And if you have questions or views to share, please tweet at Cumberland Lodge using the hashtag dialogue debate. Now we're going to begin this morning with a quick um, audience poll. So the question is just gonna pop up on your screen in a moment. And the question is, how often do you choose a film or TV drama? Uh, sorry, I've lost it on my own screen now. How often do you choose a film TV drama based on the issue it addresses rather than on its entertainment value? That's the question. Um, just wait for a moment to get it through. <coughs> oh, here we go. Here's the, the answer. Every time, seven percent. Often, fifty one percent. Sometimes, thirty eight percent. Never four percent. Well, perhaps when we talk to our panelists, they may just comment on uh, that result. So let's uh, let's move on now to uh, to speak to our panelists. We're gonna hear briefly from, from all of them first to get the conversation going. So first of all, we're going to, to turn to Ken. And Ken, we've got two initial questions for you. The first is quite personal. What's motivated you to focus your work on social issues? And then secondly, reflecting on your career, what did you have, have been the biggest challenges that you faced in addressing what are often difficult and sensitive issues?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, they're huge questions, and we can all spend, uh, each of us take up the whole um, time we've got uh, discussing them. Um, c- can I make two very quick points? First of all, uh, well, to begin with, uh, thanks for asking me to come along and, and have a chat. Um, first of all, in passing, I do hope in the discussion on social mobility, uh, someone pointed out this is a concept for the right, the right wing. Um, I think many of us would say the idea of social mobility as someone who jumps out of their class at the expense of those who remain is not a very progressive idea. And that it's a a question of the the whole class of society moving forward together, not individuals leaving others behind. Secondly, uh, the question you put on the screen, um, I think I would probably say, rarely would I choose a programme that says it's about issues. The point of drama is that it's about, um, it's about conflict. It's about um, stories and characters that um, we share their experiences, we share their lives, we share their dilemmas, their comedy, their tragedies, their tears and their laughter. And the idea that you make a drama in order to say, here's an issue, let's have some characters to expose it, is really not how, good work is done. Um, yes, there is a political subtext to uh, to one's understanding of how the world works, and within that you will see people struggling, caught, um, experiencing um, all kinds of uh, misfortunes and fortunes. And to find stories that both are true to those characters, but also indicate a central conflict within societies is, is, is is okay. But the idea that you do a drama to, in order to expose an issue is, is to reduce it to propaganda. And I think um, that's, that's not good. So I think the, the the question that I hope we will get to is how is is how what is the experience? So for example, if you if you take that early that that um, that project of finding an issue, writing a drama about it, what do you then learn about how to move on uh, and how to develop? Because uh, certainly that that was something. Uh, A number of us went through, Um, and that you will find unless you get to the root, that people will will pat you on the head and say, "Very useful, thank you very much." Um, What what an interesting expose! But in terms of challenging the the vested interests within society that produce that situation, um, you won't touch this. You won't touch it. So I think. I, I think it's um, I think it's a complex problem, and to reduce it to issue drama is really reduces it.
0: And just just to pick up on that, can I just go to to Kathy Come Home? Because I'm of the generation as a young person, I can remember the massive impact that that had on society. And it was in a time when basically you could watch BBC One, BBC Two, or ITV. So. You you could get mass audiences around that, and it really really had an impact in it. That must have been pretty early on in your career. How did you get, actually get into to to that film? Um,
1: oh, it, it, I mean, uh, it, I, I'd worked with um, a writer called Nell Dunn, and we'd done a film called Up to Junction for the BBC, yeah. which is about working class kids in Battersea. Um, and uh, Nell was partner was Jeremy Sandford, who was a journalist who'd. Was investigating homelessness, and um, we did a film together in, in which showed a family uh, split up because um, because uh, it had there was nowhere to live. The father was wasn't housed, and the children were taken away. Um, and it, it was it, it's not a good film if you look at it as a film, but it, there was it was the situation was shocking, and and um, it had it was a kind of national issue for a period. Yeah. Um, and um, we were we, we were asked to go and see the housing minister, a man called Anthony Greenwood, a labor minister. And, we, and he said, um, this is a very important um, contribution to understanding the problem of homelessness. And we said, well, thank you very much. What are you going to do about it? And he said, well, it's very difficult. On the one hand, you have um, the interests of private landlords. On the other hand, you have the difficulty of finding the land. On the other hand, we've got government money to find. Um, and on the, in, on the other hand, we've got building companies who, are death, who, who want to um, decide their own, what they build. So in other words, you are going to do nothing. And that started us on a journey mm. to say, well, we haven't really shaken. The look of the film, that doesn't shake that position. So it started us on the journey to, to, to ask political questions and to examine the, the structures in society that produce poverty, homelessness, food banks, mm. um, unemployment, um, exploitation, and so on, not only here but around the world. And until you have some sense, I, I mean, I would argue, until you have some sense of what those competing interests are, you are um, left um, a kind of a, a kind of court jester, mm. and uh, who will say things that seem provocative but actually aren't. And the, I mean, in passing, the homeless question is much greater now, much worse now than it was in the sixties when we made the film. So, mm. so much for the value of provocative
0: films. That's really given us some rich things. We'll we'll, we'll come into that. I really like that idea of court jester and really um, sort of being the trickster in in it all. Let's just move on now to to Anna. And first of all, Anna, thank you. We have to thank Anna very much indeed, because this webinar was Anna's uh, idea. So thank you very much for doing that. Um, Anna, I mean, you you work in, in academia now, and in academia and in other walks of life, we're asked to to come up with impact measures. It's a sort of a dreadful uh, thing to have to be doing, but is it possible in practical terms to assess the social impact of a film or drama from, uh, from what you've uh, experienced?
2: Oh, hello. And, uh, thank you for, for having this um, uh, webinar happening. I'm very excited to hear uh, Ken talking because I'm a big fan of his work. <laughs> just wanted to start with this. And in terms of um, measuring impact, I think it's quite impossible to measure impacts of a film in the short term because many issues are needed to be addressed years by years to have a proper impact. Um, and I'm just starting my filmmaking career, so... Someone like Ken is, is doing it for his life, so he has much more to say about it, about the impact. But overall, I can say that um, making social impact films for me was the initial reason of going into filmmaking. And um, although I was understanding that I cannot change many things in this world, uh, I was hoping to do something which can inspire others have powers to make changes. So this was the idea of filmmaking. And then I went to academia and I'm doing PhD in film. And uh, the film I'm working now uh, is actually a research project of mine as well. So kind of I need to bring together the impact of my research and the impact of the film, which I'm doing inside my research. So kind of to things together
0: (laughs) and do will you have to you know for for your research you're going to have to come up with some sort of impact measurement um to show how people are affected by the the film you're making
2: um i'm not sure it will be in this project initially when i was just writing proposal for phd i had the research of the audience viewing my film Uh, in my proposal, but then my supervisor said that it's overall, is already quite an ambitious PhD project and I'm putting too much into it. So we decided to finish by making the film Mm. and then maybe in the, I will have some postdoc project, which will research the impact of the film or the audience perception of the film. Something like this will be really interesting for me. I just cannot squeeze everything in one research. It's impossible. (laughs)
0: Sure. Let's move on to um, to to Stefan, and just to, to get a sense of where uh, of Stefan's work. We we were talking to Ken was saying you know when Kathy uh, came home was on the TV. You could there was hardly uh, any choice you could uh, for watching television. Now we've got multiple channels, but also multiple uh, online platforms that have developed. Um, the internet really is a game changer. So in this, uh, uh, Stefan, in this age of mass streaming platforms, how can independent filmmakers best market uh, their work um, uh, for social impact films to try to maximise their viewership and, and raise awareness? And what challenges uh, do you face doing this when you're coming up against the like of the BBC and Netflix?
3: Um. <clears throat> Well, I think the social media is, is is still a great platform now to advertise. Everyone is on Instagram. Everyone is on Twitter. Everyone is on Facebook. Um, our generation is sort of everything internet. Uh, but um, I'm, a, for me, in my opinion, I'm in big favor of the online situation. The Netflix, the Amazon, the iTunes. Um, I think... Um, Going with, you know, my film deleted through festivals, some people in probably, I don't know, far India or Africa might not be able to be in the United States or where we screened here in London or across the United Kingdom. So I think having it online and when I'm about to release it now throughout of all the platforms, I know that people will be able to see it. And so I see the online thing good, like the pandemic that just happened at the moment. I think if it wasn't the Amazon, the iTunes, to screen out films, then it would have been impossible to go to the cinema. Um, though cinema is, I think it will still survive. There's nothing that beats that experience. Um, I miss watching my film in the cinema and, you know, continue screening through online for me was a bit of a disaster because I had a taste of seeing it in a big screen and um, yeah, it's a 50-50 situation for me. I think there's a good thing about the online and of course there's also the good thing about the cinema. I think for us, uh, the filmmakers, of course, is that experience that going to treat yourself by going to the cinema, so I find it as a treat. So that doesn't beat that. So I think we can still survive and be back. Um, what was the second question?
0: Well, it was really about the, the, the challenges of, of, of getting your work out there when you're in, a, in this very crowded marketplace, as it were.
3: I think it, as much as the, we have the BBC and the ITV, I think we still, for marketing reason, we still have to use the, the TV. And so somehow, Again, television still needs to be there. Somehow uh, we can see all the trailers. I'm watching it on TV. Um, I'm watching it on the big, uh, you know, um, big billboards. And so it's all about the marketing. If you have marketing in place, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't still sort of fight your way through, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't see the threat. I think there's, there's still ways. There's still ways you, if you're clever.
0: How are you working to get your film out there? Um,
3: my, at the moment, well, food we have in place of marketing And um, it is a film that, you know, sort of everyone looks at I, Daniel Blake, and I did it, you know When I met Mr. Ahmed Siddiqui and knocked on my door asking for food And then explained to me the situation that he was suspended And that's because of the bureaucratic system of the Department for Works and Pension Of course, that took me straight to Ken's film And that took me to the same problems that we're having. And now that I've finished the film and we finished the tour, and and yes, the press has picked on the film and um, has much change been done? No, and that's the, 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 the unhappiness that I have with myself, you know, like, you know, you're doing this, you're trying to make a point of what this character is going through because every film of mine will be different from the others. So this is just his problem, his situation that he's facing and happens to be the DWP. Um, but it's so disheartening when you can't do anything more than that and nothing still hasn't changed. Um, it sparks for us to sit here and to talk and we just hope that the conversation keeps going. Um, so, yeah.
0: One of the things that seems to be coming out of the, of the conversation so far is that it's often this personal story, personal encounter uh, with, with a creative person that sort of sparks um, a reaction uh, of wanting to do something on behalf of that person and the bigger issues around it, and to try to articulate that. That seems to be coming through very uh, powerfully. Perhaps we might just pick that up when we talk now to, to Jane, because, Jane, you work uh, with young people, and perhaps you could say a little bit about the work for your charity does. Um, how can we encourage young people to, to really engage uh with the issues that films can can, ex, uh, can 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 expose. And do you think there's scope for doing more work around this with young people, particularly through uh, storytelling?
4: Yes, indeed. So um, my charity is called Interfilm, and we work across the UK. And we work with about half the schools in the UK in a variety of ways. And what we are really trying to do is get five to 19-year-olds to watch, understand and make film. And we do this in a variety of ways. Um, just around filmmaking, with we, you know, young people telling their own stories is incredibly important to us. And I was thinking about social impact films and just thinking about, uh, we run a competition every month, film the month, and it's open to all young people, any subject, any genre, anything they like. And what we find, going to Ken's point earlier on, is that the stories that are coming through, these are very much story-led, And yes, they are about issues, but it's very much the story that is captivating um, these young people and their audiences. And a recent winner was one called Rockface, which was about bullying. Uh, And the 13-year-old writer and director was just named the Lord Lieutenant of Leicester, very grand title, um, the Young Artist of the Year for that particular film. So we feel it's all about encouraging young people to feel that their voices are valued. And we do that by running competitions, we have an annual awards ceremony and also by providing them with the tools and the training to make films. But beyond that, we want young people to be able to use film in the classroom. And unfortunately, as you're probably aware, in the English England school curriculum, film has kind of dropped away. It's a bit different in Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. So we're very keen to get film into the classroom in any way possible and we also bring film um, outside the classroom. So we support schools to run clubs and they get free DVDs. We've included on our curated catalog, many of your films, Ken, and thank you for that. And other films like The Eagle Huntress, which um, is one of our most popular films. It's about a, a young girl who's, um, who wants to uh, look after eagles so they can hunt, which is not the norm in Mongolia where she comes from. So there's lots of ways we're trying to support this, but but you know more should be done. Uh, young people are very natural filmmakers. They may not immediately make the most brilliant film, but in the process of filmmaking, they're learning how to tell their stories, and we want to help them to get better at making their films. Thank,
0: thank you. <clears throat> Just getting up on it. I mean, how edgy can you go with young people? It's something we we explored at Cumberland Lodge a few years ago. We had a Um, a conference about uh, difficult stories. It was called uh, Telling Grim Tales, but actually we were looking at the role of stories. It seemed to me that there's a, a it can be a very safe way of exploring some
4: really tricky issues with young people. Is that your experience? Absolutely, yes, and uh, because the story, so if you're showing young people a film, because the story is arm's length, it very much means they can very often talk about the film and they relate it to their own personal experiences, but they're not having to open up about their own experiences. Uh, when the young people are making films, we have to just make very certain that they understand what they're revealing about themselves potentially. And we do have to, you know, we have to just be careful to support them through that. We're working with uh, groups of young people at the moment who are facing mental health challenges, and they very much want to uh, talk about their experience and they want to advocate for themselves and break down um stigma and stereotypes but sometimes for them that uh, and, and all young people they can get quite deeply into an issue and we need to make certain that we can kind of support them and not just open up a can of worms and then walk away from them
0: thank you in a moment we're going to start to um address some of the questions that are coming in uh, from from the audience but before we do that um just a reminder that you can first of all ask those questions and also we're going to have another quick Uh, audience poll. So the question at this time is, have you ever been inspired by a film or TV drama to do something differently around a pressing social issue? So that's the question we're asking this time. Let's see what happens. to see the results yes so it's actually interesting so nearly 60 percent of people saw something that's the probably the power of the of the of the medium to be able to communicate to people so uh, so that's really interesting so let's um let's start to to bring in the audience questions and we have uh, um, a question here from alex Ripetti, um and it's addressed to ken but i think Uh, after asking Ken, get other people to see if they want to comment as well. So he says, Ken, does the responsibility of making a difference lay with the filmmaker or with the audience? And he says, if the answer is both, how can we measure the impact of the film over a possible change that happened? In short, do you feel directly involved in improving a social problem or frustrated for the lack of change after the film was made, so um,
1: well, it, I, th- I think. It, thanks, Alex. Is it Alex? Answer the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for asking the question, Alex. But um, I wish I could see. Um, I think it goes deeper than that, really. Um, I, I think I think we have to say, what are we trying to do? Are we, you know, simply there to say, um, look, well, everything's fine, but we've just got this little problem we can do something about? That's one thing a film can do, or is it saying this um, problem that we see on the surface of society is actually indicative of a deeper malaise, a deeper, a deeper problem, a deeper conflict, and the point of the film is to just give you a, an insight and a suggestion of what this, what this fundamental problem is. I mean, it's like if you do it in medical terms, if you if you've got a you know a serious illness, do you put a do you put makeup to cover the spot or do you say, look, this guy is seriously ill. We've got to do something about we got to we've got to understand the illness first. Mm-hmm. I think the the larger ambition is to do the latter, is to say yes, look, the society is has developed in a certain way. There are essentially there are conflicting interests at the heart of it, and what are those what is that conflict? What are those conflicting interests? How can we understand it in order because we need to understand it in order to realize what our our strength in fighting back and in a way, it's a struggle for consciousness i mean it's not something you'd ever measure pole, it's a struggle for consciousness William Blake, in one of his Songs of Innocence and Experience, talks about mind-forged manacles that, that condition people to see, the, to see, to buy into a whole set of values. I mean, to take an obvious one, freedom is the freedom to exploit. Mm-hmm. You know, freedom is the right <laughs> to, as opposed to freedom is the freedom to live in peace and security. Freedom is the freedom to have a home, to have a, a means of um, supporting yourself and your family. in that we, it's a conflict between the, we are our brother's keeper, um, we support each other, the idea of solidarity, and the idea that was implicit, um, though not realised, by the government in 1945 after the Second World War, where people felt they'd won the war together and that sense of mutual independence should be carried on into the society we built afterwards. And that was... Changed and upturned, and really demolished by Margaret Thatcher, um, with her view that we are all competitors. Um, your neighbour is not your someone you collaborate with; it's someone you compete with; it's someone you do a deal with; it's someone you screw for the get the best profit for yourself and the, um, the least reward for them. And that sense of competitiveness, and and it's. There are two competing ideologies there that that imply a social structure and imply a political positions, and it's that struggle for consciousness that I think films can can connect to. It allied to that is the fact that films don't change the world. Nothing. A film is a piece of celluloid, or you know, in the case of Stefan was describing it, a, a communication across the airwaves, which is far beyond my understanding, and. What changes the world are, are people taking political power, and if you're serious about wanting to begin to begin by understanding, lead to action, then you have to be tied to. A, you have to tie be tied to it in a way well, you don't have to be, but it's a, res, a responsibility you can accept is to be tied to a political movement, and. And that, that in a way informs your work, it doesn't, doesn't decide again, otherwise, you know, you're just making propaganda. But, but it should inform your view of what the stories that are important to tell, the characters that it's important to put on the screen, the, 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 the sense of complexity, well, on one hand, complexity, on the other hand, simplicity of, of the issues that face us, the problems that face us. The understanding of the world that faces us. Mm. So it's a long, a long question. A long <laughs> short question.
0: But one, of the, one of the things I guess about film, Kenny, is that I mean, you talked about 1945 post re, you know, post-war reconstruction and the development the welfare state, introduction of socialism, etc. Um, I think that era spawned a wonderful flourishing of of filmmaking as well. And uh, I guess there is a repository there of Of material that uh, that people could tap into, thinking about talking about school education, getting youngsters to engage with those films and seeing seeing visually uh, the way that society perhaps operated. Are are there are there some key films that you would recommend uh, (laughs) that uh, that maybe Jane could pick up on?
1: Sadly, no, there, there weren't many films that came out of it. I mean, they didn't introduce socialism. They introduced a, a form of social democracy um, where the u- utilities were taken into public ownership, yeah. but it was, a, it was a, an infrastructure for private business to, to make profit. So it, it wasn't socialism. It was a form of, of um, um, social democracy, of a, of a mixed economy where the – the um, the infrastructure was carried by the state, but it was it was delivered um, on a plate for private business to exploit. Um, big question that, I mean, interesting question. But um, the, no, I think I mean the the, um, the the films that came out of it were the post war were. I mean the Italians made the best ones. Uh, the Realists in Italy. I mean, Bicycle Thieves is the obvious one. Um, brilliant films um, and they led the way and Eastern European films followed um, I mean we had a something in the um, late 50s early 60s called uh, which we later discovered was called free cinema it wasn't free at all that you. but it was um, there, were, there were films made by people who later went to Hollywood or went back into the theatre um, uh, where the they were set in, mainly in the north and mainly in, in, in the working class um, communities there. And um, it, it was, I mean, we were growing up at the time and it seemed things like Saturday night and Sunday morning, um, loneliness and long distance runner, kind of loving disporting sporting life. Um, and to us, they seemed a cop-out. But that was the arrogance of our youth. You know? um, but they certainly advanced. Uh, what you could tell the 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 people you could put on screen and the kind of stories you could tell. Um, so um, yes, the, 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 there's a and we kind of followed in the wake of that. Uh, yeah. Some years later. Yeah.
0: Just moving to any any other panelists want to pick up on on the this conversation. Anything you want to to chip in? Don't feel shy. <laughs> well,
4: I'll chip in to say. Um, Yes, uh, we think it's, or I think it's very important for, for young people to be exposed to a whole variety of films um, because the marketing and money that's behind the kind of blockbusters, etc, those films are going to get to young people but films for example, bicycle Thieves is on uh, as I say on our catalog and it's one of the films you know, we're really proud that we're promoting to young people um, as I say alongside Ken's films alongside films like the Breadwinner, the Hate You Give, um, I've mentioned The Eagle Huntress and all sorts of films like that. So we're sort of trying to ensure that uh, young people do get access to all these extraordinary films that they might otherwise n- not have the opportunity to see. And any more suggestions, any suggestions from Ken, very welcome as to what we should add to our catalogue. Who we are.
2: I can chip in as well? Please, go. So I have a story about uh, 15 years ago. Um, it's about how important it is for young people to watch films and discuss them. Um, so about 15 years ago, I was running a charity organization in Russia, which was uh, organizing a range of educational and entertaining events in orphan houses in St. Petersburg and region. And I personally was running a three-year course um, on cinema therapy with a closed group of children starting from uh, their uh, eight, nine year- years and to their 11-12s, and during this time, what we were doing, we were watching um, with this group one film a month, and then interactively discussing the film in details, and all films were connected with one or another social or personal issue. Um, These were quite difficult kids. Many were deeply traumatized, uh, their so-called social orphans who Parents um, were deprived of their rights because of alcohol, drug addiction, crime involvement. Um, And it was extremely hard to work with them from from the beginning. Um, And they, From the beginning, they wanted just to watch entertaining films like action blockbusters, horror films, this kind of stuff. And in the beginning, they were very bored with the movies we were bringing to them about friendship, betrayal, children at wars, making choice between good and evil, mostly drama films. Um, But by the end of the first year, they already started to speak and to have some opinions on the stories we were bringing to them. it was like I was very impressed how it worked and by the end of the third year I could clearly see that um, this group of children is different from other kids of the same house and the same age so it was really interesting to see the impact of the movies and what is more important discussion of these movies of with adults like meaningful to them and Yeah, just wanted to bring this example of how important it it will be probably great to have such tradition in the families for parents to watch movies with kids and then talking about them. I think it can be quite interesting experience for family time. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Yeah, I'll I'll chip in on that family issue like Anna, you said. Um, For me, if it wasn't for my mother who introduced me to this channel TCM, and um old movies, so I started watching from the age of seven, eight um to Russian films and I think for me, you know, Andrea is one of my favorite directors who' sort of changed my life in sort of the way I see film making and uh, to s- French cinema to Italian, all kind of variety of old films and also social issues films as well and uh, so I think it's important that even families play a part in it can also change and is important. I think everyone in the community to sort of um, push through cinema, but in schools as well, like um, Jane said, you know, it'd be great to have more input for youngsters to watch this type of films because it changes their mindset as well and the way they see the world. But you do have the ones, of course, that say, I'm bored and I need some actions or whatever. But, you know, I think it's important, of course, to, you know, um, educate our kids into filmmaking or watching them you know, and, um,
0: and things might change as well in the curious time. Thank you. We have a question here from James Bradshaw and James asks, how do the panelists think the government's national retraining scheme will impact upon British cinema over the next few years? How do the panelists think the government's national retraining scheme will impact upon British cinema over the next few years? So anyone like to have a go at that question?
1: What is the government's new retraining scheme?
0: That was what I was uh, hoping that one of the panellists
4: might know. Um, But, uh, ah. Is it that awful thing with the poor ballet dancer being told that she should, I don't know, pack boxes or something? Ah. Uh, Advert.
0: Go digital, yes. OK, that may be it. Well, I suppose we can have a broader question about um, the government's approach to to the arts i mean that may be something we could just explore because i'm sure people have got views on on that and i mean the crisis i guess the covid crisis exposes it's sort of a an amplifier and it almost uh, amplifies attitudes and maybe we've seen some attitudes being exposed as a result of covid around around the arts So i wonder whether people have got any comments to make about uh, about about that about mm. government action uh, around the arts
1: uh, I think there are two attitudes to the arts, and again, one one a right-wing attitude and one a left-wing attitude. The right-wing attitude is that art is to be sponsored by um, private individuals or corporations. um, That arts companies, theatre companies, concerts, um, opera, ballet, anything that costs money, um, is uh, should find a sponsor because why should I mean they're kind of crude. Answer is that why should people pay their taxes in order to support uh, artistic endeavours they don't want to see? Um, the the uh, and of course in the end the pi- he who he who pays the piper calls the tune yeah. and the um, so the the um, the sponsor in a way determines the content of what is put on or what is written or what is um, the work that's done. Um, and it's it's about it's about commerce and it's about power and privilege um, and the subtext of that is that you unless there's private wealth you won't have art okay. unless there's people making profits art's not available well the radical alternative to that is that we as a as a collective as a community say this is something that will enhance Society enhances everyone. It's it's a it's a great benefit to all. It's a liberation for everyone to um, and and it's it ennobles us. It dignifies us, and we cherish it. And so we collectively invest in theaters, in dance companies, in music, um, in films. I would like to say, um, public art, in sculpture, whatever. that that it belongs to all of us. And we all should have equal access to it. I mean, I know which one I prefer, but those are the (laughs) two (laughs) aspects. Thank
0: you. Anyone else want to come in on this one? I suspect we're all like-minded on this, but... uh... Stefan, would you want to say anything?
3: Uh, Yeah, Kent said it all for me as well. I'm pretty much on that and... uh... And, and funding has just been released, basically. It's Ken just said everything I needed to say, basically, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm on the same mind with him, like.
0: Jane, you're the voice for the young people here, so um, I wonder whether there's, from, from an educational point of view, there's something you want to say.
4: Yes, I mean, for, certainly in, in as I mentioned, in the um, curriculum in England, you know, the arts are, film is being squashed and squashed um, and not valued as an art form in and of itself. Um, the other arts are being squashed out as well. We have the EBAC, which is a, a kind of set of GCSEs that young people are meant to choose, and they're like the core subjects. And with the, the kind of the, the kind of conversation around this, or it's not we're not really even conversation. The kind of messaging that's coming out um, is very much about the arts not being valued and not being of use. And uh, This is not very helpful, I don't think, to young people, but equally I don't think it's very helpful to England. Um, As I said, the situation is slightly different in the other nations. Uh, Northern Ireland certainly leading the way in terms of screen, uh, but film and uh, other screens. Um, So, you know, we look to the other nations perhaps to uh, help us move forward in uh, the education system in England.
0: Is there anything about Northern
4: Ireland? Sorry. uh, no, it's, uh, were you going to ask about Northern Ireland?
0: Ask about, yes, um, when you said about positive things in Northern Ireland, whether there are some good examples there about what's come out of the troubles and the way that films are being used to address those
4: issues. Any good examples of... of um, that's a very interesting question, because quite often, sometimes in schools in Northern Ireland, they don't necessarily dwell on the troubles, because it is still an extremely... Um, uh, difficult under the surface issue, but uh, young people in Northern Ireland—they have moving image arts. They're encouraged the digital technologies. They see film as a text. Um, so within school, you know, film is 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 much more highly valued. And also, you can see that the industry there, both film and other screen industries, are absolutely thriving. Um, so I think we have got quite a lot to learn from that. But as I said, the troubles is slightly less. Uh, full-on addressed, in my opinion, in Northern Ireland. Somebody from Northern Ireland might um, challenge that, but uh, it's, it's a little bit, as we were talking about earlier on, sort of arm's-length issues, and for many people in Northern Ireland, the troubles aren't very arm's-length, um, but other, other questions around um, communities and problems are very much engaged with and spoken about in schools.
0: We have another question here from uh, Connor Tomlinson and Connor asks this says uh, with socio political ideologies being inserted in blockbuster franchises resulting in lost earnings brackets star wars superhero movies movies etc should hollywood reexamine the stance their stance on issues explored and uh, not explore these issues or push on despite lost profit for a moral imperative. Um, I think there might be a word missing out of that question, but I think we've got the gist of it. So, um, moving on to Hollywood. Anyone want to comment on on Hollywood and ideologies that are being put in and affecting uh, affecting attitudes? Anyone want to pick up on that one?
3: Um, I, I, I was just trying to think. Uh, yeah, this Hollywood but who are the people behind the films? So when you think of those private investors, like Ken said, who chooses the context they want to, then those things are not going to be made. Now, I know the Academy Awards are trying of encouraged now when you see the nominations comes out with the low-budget films like Moonlight and the other ones. But then again, it's the production, it's the script, it's the context. It comes back to that money-making. You know, is it selling? Is it, you know, so... Um, I don't know if um, Hollywood is ready for that sort of change because it is money. It's, 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 about, it's still a business at the same, at the same, at the same time. Um, but it would be nice that if they change it to also give a chance to these films as well. Um, that will, you know, sort of make a social impact and movement and something um, for a change, to spark a change. Um, that might be able to lead to the leaders um, in power, you know, when you have these blockbuster films as well, that might, you know, question them, their mind, their thoughts, and the way their voting system is to change the society or laws. But um, I don't know if Hollywood is ready. It, it it comes back to money. It's always the money situation. It's that funding, funding situation.
1: Um yeah, yeah. Okay to speak, Ed. Yeah, please go. Yeah, yeah. I think Stefan's right, Eddie. Um And um, I mean, Hollywood plays for the other team. I mean, Hollywood is the enemy. Uh, Hollywood <laughs> is um, our big co- is corporate power making money out of films. That that's all. And um, and they they will make the films, the kind of films that made money last year. Because they always want to be second. Um, if they decide to put in something about the environmental collapse, because people they think people are it they'll insert a little bit. But the idea that they they will seriously challenge an ideology that is uh, based on exploitation and profits um, just won't happen because they embody it. They embody it, and and I think there's a, there's a case for. Um, looking at, at commercial Hollywood films um, and tracing the ideology behind them. You know, the idea that one man with a gun will ride into your village and solve your town and solve your problems is a deeply right-wing idea. You know, it's, it's about one person using violence to, um, to cure, to, to solve the, what's wrong. Um, or to restore justice, uh, no sense of the collective of, of people coming together um, at all. It's it's about one man with a gun, or or the. Um, uh, I mean, you'll see characters who are uh, live in great luxury, uh, but no one questions where the money comes from. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a profoundly reactionary ideological subtext to to their to what they do. Um, and I think that I mean to follow on from that. One one um, problem that it leaves is that the idea of cinema is so reduced. I mean, imagine a, an, an art gallery or a library where the only books were were um, just airport novels. I mean, you'd think <laughs> it's not much of a library. And in fact, that's what we have in cinema, in commercial cinema. Um, even the art houses now, most of them have been taken over by one company, and that company is now a subdivision of Cineplex, which is, um, you yeah, know, one of the... Co- and their game will be owned by another big corporation. So it is the penetration of corporate power um, into cinema. Um, and we, we need to imagine a different... Co- I mean, I'd like to see cinemas um, where there is a, every town or of, any size has a cinema which is owned by, again, owned by the, by the people, like a theatre might be, which is programmed by people who care about films. Um, I'm sure you, you do a, a great job um, with that, Jane. You know, people who know about films and could, um, could program it, you know, you get the, so you get the diversity of world cinema, um, not just American commercial films, and really expand the idea of what cinema could be. Um, so but the, the the idea that Hollywood will um, do anything other than be opportunist in its in its use of what it sees as current issues is fra is um, is uh, a fantasy.
0: Let's move on to a rather different topic, and I think a really important sort of self-reflective topic. We've had two questions of a similar similar vein the the, the simple, shorter version of the question comes from uh, James Field, and James asks, how do you approach filmmaking uh, when dealing with sensitive topics? How do you work with such material respectfully and effectively? And then the the the, the longer question uh, is from Isabel Coward, who asks, do you think there's a danger in idolising the situations and characters we see within these social issue films pushing a victimhood culture? Is it too easy to paint these issues with a broad brush and not to show the detailed ups and downs of an individual who is not defined only by their situation? So it's quite two related questions. Um, I mean, could I go straight away to Ken, I think, because this is clearly something you've had a lifetime of dealing with?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, um, I don't want to say too much, really. But uh, um, you you start off, um, I mean, any any project. And I, I work with a writer, Paul Lofty. I've always worked with writers and been lucky enough to work with Paul for the last, um, over a quarter of a century in a 25, nearly 30 years. A wonderful writer. And and we, I think that the question is very pertinent, really. It's a very good question. Uh, and and that's, I think you have to begin with some humility. Um, maybe you find an idea or a story that you think is Important to tell because it's important, which is more than the sum of its narrative. You know, the na- the narrative has implications and consequences for for our world, for our society, for for how we unsee the world. So it, you can tell this story very simply and just be absolutely true to that, to this, to these set of characters and the experiences they go through. But actually, it says a lot more than just those those people and, and that little narrative. And if you can find that story, then that's the pure gold of, I think, that you're looking for. Um, and you begin, you don't have to listen. I mean, Paul does a, a great amount of just listening to people and, and we begin it together and, and I join him when I can and um, or when, it's, when it's good to do so. Um, but we listen and listen. And um, then Paul will write a couple of characters and we um, think, well, are they the ones that will reveal this story and then um, put a, a storyline together uh, and so on? And he'll write a script. And it, I think that has to carry through the whole thing so that you find people who are absolutely authentic and credible and complex. And if you're true to them, then they're not two dimensional because they're real people. And Paul's writing has the. Has the different elements, you know, the, the the just the complexity of 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 every individual, and they're all they're not they're not representing anyone. They are themselves mm. with their own richness and their own contradictions and their own comedies and stupidities and frailties and the rest. So that and that that's and once we start, I mean, I don't know if it's the same for others, but once we start doing a film, it. You don't talk about the politics at all. You don't talk about the issue. You just talk about that moment mm. and that the truth of that moment. Um, and um, then it's you know you you pick up ways of working over the years that 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 seem to to be okay. And and it's a if, if you find the right people who you know the I mean you can't imitate class. I think for example, um, you can't imitate where you're from. Um, you know, a, an accent is not just, is not just phonetics, it, it's, it's the comedy, it's a way of thinking, it's an attitude, it's... So you, lots of things you can't imitate. And, and to really challenge yourself all the way through, saying, if I saw this on a documentary, would I believe this person is who they say they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be absolutely rigorous, you know, don't accept anything that doesn't pass that test. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea that that you would um, the second point about wallowing in victimhood again this is a this is a you know a right wing idea um, that um, that people will um, you know won't be criticized because they're poor well actually the opposite is the case in our society you know look at the tabloid press and they'll always find some poor woman who's probably had a weight problem has got too many kids and manages to get a week's holiday somewhere cheap and they'll or she's in the house, you know, that's got enough room for her kids to sleep, and she'll be exposed as a, as getting more than her fair share. I mean the, the cruelty of that. There's there's the whole pornography of of poverty television, you know, exposing people on on benefits and maybe they've one person has got a few quid more than they're strictly allowed. No mention of the tax exiles of the people who are ripping them off and ripping us all off. Um, and so that, that attack on poverty and the use of the state to use poverty, to, to blame people because they're poor, to blame people because they're unemployed, and to use hunger as a weapon, which they do now, of course, by seeing food banks rise and being quite content with that.
0: Mm.
1: No problem. Shows you know charities. Charities are a good idea. So you know that the whole um, the whole politics that has arisen out of blaming the poor. Um, your your your, um, your um, CV is not to scratch. We're going to stop your money. All that that, that bureaucratic bullying. There's no question. I mean, the question was actually the other way around. The question was, how do we stop the bullying of the poor and the vulnerable? Putting putting people who are ill or disabled to questions to show that they're fit for work, and then they take their own lives. Or they die because they're trying to find work that they can't do. That That's the problem. That's the problem. Don't talk, don't buy the right wing propaganda about walling in poverty. And that's part of their game.
0: Stefan, just go tick-tick, because you've just done a, your your film has been a real-life story. And how have you handled that with sen- sensitivity?
3: Um, that is why, what I did, you know, basically, um, the last five hours of a man before he becomes homeless. And I knew the gentleman, Mr Ahmed Siddiqui as he was my neighbor when he was asking me for food. And so on the day of filming, well, we're supposed to film in February, but he knocked on my, day, on my door two days before the eviction and said, oh, by the way, I'm not live, longer living evicted in February. It's going to be on Sunday. And this was Friday night. And I was running like a headless chicken trying to find a camera. But my producer, Andre, you know, kind of sorted that out with the mic and professionally to try and capture his last five hours. And what I was trying to do with this film is gently looking at his problem as I was interviewing him and also dignify him as possible. This was a middle class man who happened to have had a bad fortune, misfortune in in this late time of his life, 59 years old, when he divorced and just got himself into the housing benefit situation and lost his home because of the suspension. And I tried to dignify him as high as possible And I always address him as Mr. Ahmed Siddiqui. Always give that respect. Because I saw the way some TV and broadcasting are doing, dehumanizing some people that are on benefit, as if they are there to squeeze things out of it. And so I tried my hardest to, for us, the audience, to become that DWP with extreme close-ups and unconventional kind of um, footages. And that way is because we don't look at our homeless people on the streets. So with this film, I was exploring for the eye, the audience becoming the eye and really looking to his eyes. Well, it doesn't matter what the left and right are saying about homeless people. Oh, they choose to stay on the street. Oh, they were druggies. Oh, so this film is about listening to Mr. Siddiqui through the eyes and close ups that I kind of played up with him. I tried my hardest to keep him and make him very dignified in this film because he was that type of man, very gentle and well-spoken, um, and so I don't fall into that trap of uh, dehumanising a human through their misfortune.
0: Thank you. We are running out of time. I am just going to ask, there's one question I'd just like to ask um, to wind things up, um, and it comes from Alice Wigley. And Alice has asked, uh, what issues would the panel like to see confronted in TV and film over the next few years. So perhaps all of you might just say a very quick word on the issues you'd like to see covered in films over the next few years. Who'd like to go first?
3: Um, I'll go. Go Um, first, thank you. um, If we're looking at thinking of social uh, issues and impact films, and one came to mind a few years ago, a long time ago, one of my favorite actors, Tom Hanks, Philadelphia, which tackled HIV. And I know we've moved on, you know, HIV has moved on a lot far from those times. But I think there's still a stigma. I think that's one issue that is still missing on TV or film. Um, We still need cure for that. And so that could also be tackled. Black Lives Matter as well. And so there's all of these issues, more than issues that could be. Um, I'd like to see more of that.
0: Thank you. Anyone else like to Give
3: Um, a
2: final shot. Maybe me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So, as I said, films are impacting very slowly. So not like someone watches one film and then the issue is solved. But if more films will be talking about the same and the same issues, then gradually it will come to to some hopefully changes. So the film I'm working on now uh, is looking into several problems, uh, which I think I will be interested to see more in other films and TV as well, Um, which is uh, like the smaller ones are council housing, student loans, Me Too movement, uh, environmental problems. Uh, addictions, zero-hour jobs. <laughs> no, probably sounds that I packed too much in one film, <laughs> But um, overall, uh, the main issue of the film I'm making uh, is looking into uh, student sex workers, and instead of uh, marginalizing them or judging them looking at the situation, why this happens in the society and why this situation is possible when uh, young young people don't have just simple other choice to pay their university fa- fees other than to go into sex work. And this is uh, the real recent years British statistics and research showed that uh, 5% of British students are engaged in sex work to pay high university fees. And yeah, this is what my film is about. And I kind of was very shocked with this information. And I think, not like I'm saying I want to watch a lot of films about student sex work, but kind of, if this will be addressed in some way, I think
0: it will be interesting. Thank you, Anna.
4: Ken and Jay? Yeah. I could just something really quickly. Uh, uh, bullying, really, both in the sense that uh, Ken was talking about earlier, but it's a, a particularly relevant to young people around all sorts of issues. So kind of generic sort of uh, anti-bullying, um, I think, would, is very important. Ken?
1: Um, I, just to tell the truth, really, tell the truth about wealth, where it comes from, who, who, um, who profits, um, the, uh, the, the profit they take from the labour of others, um, tell the truth about the British Empire um, and, the, and its the consequent racism and and uh, exploitation that, that it has led to um, and the terrible catastrophes in the throughout um, throughout the world. Tell the truth about modern day imperialism that led to the Iraq War, the the poverty in Latin America, and uh, for the benefit of the United States. Um, tell the truth, really. Um, Tell the truth about why there's no investment in some of the regions in Britain that have been desolate since the old industries died um, really tell tell the truth about the the issues that underpin again the symptoms that that we're talking about um, you know the the you know the interesting things that here Anna talk and and of course that, that's a Sad, terrifying, awful situation for people to be in. But again, it comes from something. What does it come from? What has produced that? And what's produced the thing, you know, how far deep can you go? Because I think our responsibility is to, is, is to leave no question unasked. And remember the old um, saying from the Renaissance, I think it was, test everything, hold fast that which is good. And don't leave a question underneath that you haven't asked. Because you, if you don't ask that question, it's like being a surgeon who starts operating and they don't know what the disease is. You know, and I think that, that's our fundamental responsibility. It, it, it is about consciousness, it's about understanding, and it's, it's about, in, in the end, to use an old-fashioned term, it's about class consciousness. Because if you don't understand that conflict, essential conflict, you can't fight it. And that's the conflict that's, that's played on people. We're all in it together. We're all in the same boat. No, end not, by God. <laughs> not. It's, the, it's that class consciousness. Without that, we can't progress.
0: Thank you very much indeed for all those contributions. Uh, we do need to to, to, to wrap up now. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion. We should keep going, and no doubt, I'm I'm sure conversations will happen as a result of this conversation. If you'd like to get alerts about forthcoming uh, webinars, you can sign up on the Keep in Touch page of the Cumberland Lodge website, or simply email us at inquiries at cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. And just to say that our webinars generally take place at 11 a.m. on the first Wednesday of each month. Not every month, but that's the normal pattern just before i say goodbye i'd like to highlight that like all charities we're facing difficult times at the lodge and if you've found today's uh webinar useful interesting and would like to support our work uh, we'd be very grateful if you consider making a small donation which you can do online via the just just giving page and we'll put up the link at the end thank you everyone for joining us and most especially our wonderful panelists this morning to ken anna Stephen Stefan and Jane. thank you very much indeed and goodbye.